I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. guys, gals and non-binary pals another week down in the apocalypse and I am bringing you the new episode of the Mind Poppers podcast live from my underground bunker but before we get into this week's episode of the Mind Poppers podcast and all the nasty Mind Poppers I have in store I want to quickly revisit a topic that we looked at in last week's episode namely the Church of Scientology in Ireland and the shady shit that it's been getting up to. Now I won't go in to the shady shit that it's been going up to we discussed that in last week's episode but Jenny from the It Gals messaged me after listening to last week's episode about Scientology and she has had her own run in with the Church of Scientology in Dublin. She sent me these voice notes which I'm going to play for you now. I thought I'd let you know that I actually have had experience with the Dublin Scientology Church. They also have a small little um, church, I think, a library, I don't know, centre on Abbey Street upstairs on top of those buildings like across from Arnett's and um when I was like 15 me and my friends were in town they stopped us and they were like hey and we were like hello and they were like oh would you like to take a personality test and we were like oh my god fucking totally that sounds like so much fun it's like MySpace was in there and everyone was doing like tests like what you know kind of spice girl are you or like you know what kind of emo are you so, like, your man walks us in upstairs, and we're like, okay, this is kind of weird. Up these little stairs into this really old room, very, like, um, I don't know, like, a, what I imagine, like, someone in the IRS would work in, very grim. And he sits us down these computers, and he's like, okay, do you want to go through the, um, the test? It's like, you know, a level of, like, I agree, I don't agree, you know, one to five should be a bit bash bash, not the usual. And we're like, okay. So we sit down, me and three of my mates, and we're all like 15-year-old girls, by the way, 15-year-old girls. Um, And we're all chipping away at this personality test. And halfway through, I look up, and I see that the whole room is, like, lined with books. And I'm like, is this a fucking library? Like, what the fuck? And they're all, like, really old-looking books, like, you know, like, bound in black leather with uh, embossed gold font on it. And I see that on the bottom of every single book, it says the Church of Scientology. And I'm like, you're fucking joking. And like, this is like 2005, six. So like, I feel like that was kind of the peak of, not the peak, but like, well, it was probably because that was like Tom Cruise. Like, you know, it was very like prominent, like celebrities were in Scientology then. And like, people were kind of hearing about how crazy it was. It was getting very big over in LA, I feel. Um, like it was huge and um, I was like fuck so we like finished the test and I obviously couldn't say to my friends I couldn't be like hey uh, we're in a Scientology room like so we should probably bail I was trying to make eyes them but like it's impossible 
So um, I finished the test because I'm like, what the fuck? And the test questions are crazy. It's like, like what, what do you, th- like, you know, on a day-to-day basis, how much do you hate yourself? Or, like, do you ever look at your parents and think, how did they make you? Like, really crazy shit. Anyway, lo and behold, we all do the test and they tell us all we're depressed because that's how they get people. They're like, you're depressed. And it's like, oh, no way. You know, ironically, one of my friends did suffer from severe depression. And, um, yeah, told us all we were depressed. And then we could, like, do this, you know, the little machine thing. If we wanted to. It's going to cost money, all the rest. And I was like, let's just leave. Uh, well, maybe we will come back. Yeah, maybe we will. I told my friends, I was like, fucking load of Scientologists there. Mental. So I am a little shook at that. The fact that, I mean, even around Scientology, like just coming up to its peak in America, they were already like pulling this shit in Ireland as well and bringing in 15-year-old girls off the street to do a personality test. I mean, like that could have been me. Um, you know, because like a stranger came up to me and was like, would you like to do personality tests? Especially when I was 15. I'm like, uh, yeah. And then to find out after the personality test, and I imagine like no matter what you answered in this test, the results were going to come back that you were depressed. But I mean, of course, hello. I mean, like I'm a 15 year old who is coming into some straight, like some 50 year old's office to do a personality test. Of course I'm depressed, you know? So no big shocker there. Obviously the story didn't necessarily have the happiest of endings because as we all know, Jenny from the It Gals did go on to become, you know, a very prominent figure in the Church of Scientology in Ireland. But enough about that. Enough about that. It's in the past. What I want to get into right now, and do you know what I want to talk about before we get into the dark stuff, because this episode does get quite dark. You know, just FYI, a warning. It does go into some taboos. So if you're anyway inclined to be offended or, you know, just want to stay away from the negative energy, then continue listening because there is plenty more trauma you can fit into your life. But some things that I'm excited for at the moment, I just finished Ryan Murphy's new limited series on Netflix called Hollywood. It is fucking fantastic. Ryan Murphy, for those of you who don't know, is the creator behind American Horror Story, um, the assassination of Gianni Versace, um, the People vs. O.J. Simpson. Amazing. Oh, Scream Queens. Amazing. Um, But I just finished that series and I have to say it is some of the best work Ryan Murphy has done in years basically Hollywood is set kind of in golden age Hollywood maybe I suppose just before golden age Hollywood and follows like the story of like these young characters these like young actors and actresses who basically have to fuck these old men these like old executives to become stars and it's amazing you kind of see the struggles of everybody like all these like guys having to do gay for pay um, the women obviously not getting like any um, significant roles, especially um, African-American women at the time. They were playing like caricature- caricatures of themselves as maids. But the story goes on. It is fucking amazing. I hope more people watch it. And I tell you, I cried like a little bitch at the end. I cried like a little bitch. And it takes a lot for me to cry. It really does. Like sometimes just to like have an emotional release, like when I want to cry, like I used to have like these staple movies that I'd watch over and over, like just to bring a bit of tear, like ugh, release, like an orgasm of the eyes. Um, One of the movies I used to watch to make myself cry was My Sister's Keeper, but I watched it so many times that when the little girl died at the end, I just stopped crying. I just stopped crying. Um... Anyway, something else that I'm excited about is obviously Lady Gaga is coming out with a new album, Chromatica. I think it's coming out in like less than three weeks. But when I was seeing all like the press and whatever of um, her promoting the new album coming up, 
it it kind of took me back to a place and this is always like a I guess a mind popper that I've had for a long time but never really talked about it never really discussed it it is I guess it's kind of a conspiracy theory but I believe right that people like Lady Gaga you know pose a real threat to the music industry and when I say the music industry I'm talking about like the big like Illuminati like people running the music industry and believe me there are those people because the music industry is so influential in not only pop culture but the culture as a whole you know like the, the amount of young people consuming this old people consuming consuming this like everybody is listening to music it's you know forced upon us every single day we love it but obviously there's big messages in it um, and obviously the power to manipulate so I thought that the music producers like these big influential music moguls they had their pop stars, you know, back in the early 2000s. You know, no no one was doing anything, like, groundbreaking. It was a lot of the same recycled stuff, like, catchy tunes, catchy hooks, what have you. And this was great, you know, it was simple. There wasn't a whole lot of, like, soul in it or whatever. So, like, these big, you know, money-making music machines, these big record labels were just, like, putting out, like, what I like to call manufactured pop. You know, you have, like, a, a basic, like, pop artist who's not, like, super talented not like overly talented but you know with the right you know editing and reverb and what have you in the studio and effects and vocalization whatever you know they're putting out like generic you know big pop anthem big pop anthem and of course everybody eats it up because we love pop music um, and so on and so on but every now and again someone comes into the scene like Lady Gaga who poses a massive threat to disrupt the kind of basic formula that all these music producers, these big music machines, you know, have been doing, like the whole Katy Perry thing, you know, like not like super talented, but, you know, produces pop banger after pop banger, you know, using the same formula. But Lady Gaga came along and she posed a threat, okay? Because there was real talent there and a real lyricist there. And I don't think that the big music money machines like that because they're like no we're actually happy with like having these basic artists putting out songs you know we produce them and we turn them into big pop bangers it works for us it's making us a lot of money we don't need someone coming along creating a whole new you know raising the bar we don't need someone coming along and raising the bar we're happy with the bar you know being just down here where it is and I think that's why Lady Gaga got so much backlash in the beginning of her career. Like, if you, like, think back, like, remember, you know, like, there's so many video interviews of Lady Gaga sitting down and having to answer to the reporter whether or not she has a penis, you know? All these, like, whoever started this rumour circulating that Lady Gaga was a hermaphrodite. And the press ran with this. Everybody ran with this. Why? Of course, it's looking back now, it's, it's ridiculous. Of course, she didn't have a dick you know um but why why was why were people so adamant on destroying her before she even began you know because the thing about lady gaga was she changed the game she changed pop culture you know she kind of brought a certain art into her music you know she she rose the bar right up and you could see her impact you know from 2009 on you know you'd all these other um singers and artists you know, they were wearing the colourful wigs, they were doing all the wacky shit, you know, like Lady Gaga in the meat dress and Lady Gaga coming in at the egg and the Grammys, all this weird shit. And then all of a sudden, 
artists in the pop scene all around the globe suddenly had to step up, suddenly had to rise to the occasion. So of course, you when you think of like these big music, music executors and the big money machine having to throw more money now just to compete with the likes of Lady Gaga, you know, now Nicki Minaj suddenly has to wear, start wearing all the wigs and not only that, but like the sets, the props have to be bigger. There has to be meaning, you know, a heart to the videos and all that. So that's why I think Lady Gaga was, you know, just detrimental to a very stagnant uh, pop industry. So I think that's why she was attacked so heavily. Um, you know, saying like, oh, Stephanie Germanata has a dick or whatever. And also it was the way in which she challenged the the rhetoric that was going on in society around pop music at the time. Like you can see, you know, there's a lot of interviews. And one that struck me in particular is when um, an interviewer was like, do you think that, you know, like the over sex, sex, sexiness, the over sexualization that you carry out on stage, do you think that will take away from your music? And she takes a second, she lets him finish. And she says, if I was a man up there grabbing my crotch and talking about all the beautiful women that I was fucking and driving fast cars, you'd call me a rock star. So I'm just a rock star. So she really did challenge everything and she changed everything from music videos to appearance. Everyone suddenly had to throw so much more money in. And I mean, look at her now. She has broadened out, you know, she has the pop album, Joanne. She has kind of like an EDM, like arty album, art pop. Um, she has the fucking jazz album, Cheek to Cheek. Everything but a pop album. Um, but that's what I'm saying is that I believe that the powers that be were like, no, we're not letting, we're not letting this girl, you know, ruin everything for us. We're not letting this girl start creating ripples in the pool, which it did. Obviously, she changed the music industry. She changed pop culture. A lot of people will say, yeah, well, Madonna was kind of doing the same thing. And that's absolutely fair. Um, but in the same vein, you know, Lady Gaga was doing it, you know, kind of at the, the emergence of like a digital age. You know, where everyone had like, kind of like, well, nearly everyone had like access to the internet and information was being shared more than ever. But in the same way, we can look at someone like Lana Del Rey, who I'm a big fan of, obviously. But at the beginning of Lana Del Rey's career, you know, she was called, you know, fraudulent and this whole kind of 1960s kind of old Hollywood glamour, this kind of persona that it was created and it was fraudulent and everyone was calling her a fake and everyone just wanted to, to nip her in the bud. They wanted to stop Lana Del Rey from happening. But of course, Lana Del Rey would go on to become one of the most influential artists in music at the moment. And I think why they wanted to take Lana Del Rey out, they wanted to like slit her throat before she even began, was for the same reason as Lady Gaga, but she was because she was going to create ripples in the pond that they didn't want. Okay, so all of a sudden you have Lana Del Rey who's creating these beautifully aesthetically pleasing videos, you know, beautiful cinematography, beautiful videography. Um, but she was also writing her own material. You know, she was a, a beautiful singer, yes. Um, but at the same time, she was also um, a very talented lyricist. She was a poet. And you kind of saw around this time when Lana Del Rey was writing her own songs, like she sprung onto the scene um, 
first of all, because the weekend, as an able, the weekend, started sharing some of her very early work and she was doing the same for him. But she kind of shot then into the forefront when Fern Cotton on BBC Radio 1, you know, started spinning blue jeans and video games and she kind of exploded. But the thing is, it was around this time when this kind of whole kind of bitchiness came about, we're like, oh yeah, well, you know, Beyonce's good or whatever, but she doesn't even write her own songs. Lana Del Rey kind of put pressure on the pop world to start kind of being more of the artist, you know, rather than just being the voice, you know, you were kind of expected to start writing now and to be immersive and to be fully involved in every kind of step of the way of producing a record. Um, And obviously people did not like that, But, you know, with Lana Del Rey, she was kind of at the epicenter of a very kind of dark and nostalgic universe that kind of gave birth to the likes of Billie Eilish and Lord, if you will. Because, you know, before kind of Lana Del Rey, there wasn't a whole lot of people kind of... I guess, romanticising the darkness in pop. Like, you know, before, like, a pop song had to be kind of, like, kind of upbeat and it was positive or whatever. Whereas now Lana Del Rey was kind of bringing this darkness to pop that we hadn't seen in a long time and it shot right to the forefront and, again, changed the game. It put more pressure on the big musical giants to start stepping up to the game and being like, okay, we have to, you know, we couldn't stop her. We have to we have to be able to match her now, I'm sorry I know that was a rant but that's just something that I feel very like very sure about that there are artists that start off artists that have true talent and from the very beginning from the very outset the big music giants like uh-uh we're not letting these careers take off nip it in the bud now but moving on from that one of the main mind poppers of this episode is Takashi 69 the rapper Real name, Daniel Hernandez. Um, now, you might know him, but you probably do. It's okay if you don't. His story is interesting anyway. But if you do know him, you might know his name, but his image, he's that young rapper, that young Mexican rapper, and he has um, the kind of rainbow, always rainbow color braided hair. You know, he's been in the press a lot the last, I guess, two years because he got in trouble and he went to prison and there was like snitching involved and now, you know, he's out on parole and you know we're all kind of wondering how long is it going to be before someone takes a hit on his ass um and his obviously his involvement with the train nine gangsta bloods in new york now just please disclaimer if anyone happens to be listening from the train nine gangsta bloods gang um please don't take a hit out on me this is just for entertainment purposes please don't take a hit out on me um and i would also like to disclaim that i have never been involved in a gang myself However, I did start when I was younger at Charlie's Angels Fight Club. If you remember, I spoke about it on Instagram. So I guess that was kind of a gang. You know, I was obviously the leader. I founded the Charlie's Angels Fight Club gang. You know, we did cause a lot of trouble. We got into a lot of fights, you know, but it was more so a community. We were training, you know, for bad situations rather than starting them. You know, we would train. Because I, let me tell you, the Charlie's Angels Full Throttle had come out that year and it was big charlie's angels full throttle is one of the best fucking movies ever made ever um so obviously i was obsessed with it and i decided to start the charlie's angels fight club a lot of training you know we'd wake up um early every morning me and my friends 
And we'd train, you know, just like the Charlie's Angels with a lot of cartwheels, whatever, a lot of hand-to-hand combat. And of course, then you have to do like the posing after every fight, you know, like the signature Charlie's Angels pose. Obviously, I was in the middle. It was Cameron Diaz. And I remember one person who we initiated into the Charlie's Angels Fight Club gang. Um, they always used to be like, oh, can, can, can I be Cameron Diaz this time? And I was like, you will never be Cameron Diaz. You will never be Cameron Diaz as long as I stand here. You will never be Cameron Diaz. They'd always be like, what, what, would, would it be okay for me to, to, to take a turn as Drew Barrymore? I was like, you will never be Drew Barrymore. You will never be Drew Barrymore. You will be Lucy Lou. And that is all you'll ever be. You will be Lucy Lou. Um, so obviously there was a lot of conflict going on in the group and we disbanded it. We disbanded as if someone else was going to be Cameron Diaz. It wasn't going to happen. But anyway, back to Takashi 69. So Takashi 69 has been in the press because he's just been released from prison after ratting. You know, he had been sentenced to life in prison, but he's ratted on a whole lot of people, a whole lot of members from the Train Nine Gangsta Bloods. Um, and he's back out now. He's just released a new music video. Um, and it's it's popping. The music video is popping. He's getting so much clout right now. But at the same time, everyone's kind of like, oh, well, this guy is going to get a cap in his ass for sure because he just ratted on everybody. He snitched. To get out of the life sentence. But a little bit of backstory to Takashi 69. He said in interviews that his life kind of started to derail. When he was 13 years old, he dropped out of school because his father was murdered. Like a block away, his father was shot. And that really kind of threw him off. Now, he's been around, Takashi 69 has been around the last couple of years. He's kind of been on, you know, the whole like SoundCloud rapper circuit and having like beef with other SoundCloud rappers. And like, um, The kind of back and forth, you know, getting that bit of clout or whatever. He was making a small bit of money. Then he collaborated, um, I think it was like about two years ago, maybe even less, maybe last year with Nicki Minaj in a song called Fifi, which was a fucking slap. Like I said, amazing. Give it a listen. And it really kind of shot him to the forefront. People were kind of starting to take him seriously now. He was wacky. He was not like, um, he was not like other rappers going on right at the moment last year. Um, But again... It was like his career was doomed from the start because very early after the success of Fifi, he'd got himself into trouble with the law. He was potentially going to jail because he posted three videos on social media um, of him and a group of other rappers kind of getting frisky with a couple of girls or whatever, you know, like as rappers do, it was like all for the clout, all for the gram. But as it turns out, the girl in the video that he posted that they were kind of doing sexual acts with was 13 years old. 13 years old, that's 12 plus one. She was a child. And in these videos that Takashi 69 posted, he has the 13 year old sitting on his lap and like in another shot, he's holding her titty. And um, in another shot, she's giving another rapper head. She's giving it, the 13 year old, now keep in mind, is giving another rapper a blowjob while he is like thrusting her booty hole from behind. No, it wasn't penetrative or whatever. But so of course he was going to jail um, because of this like sexual misconduct with a 13 year old. Um, Anyway, he went and was like, okay, she was telling the courts. I did not know that she was only 12 years old, or sorry, only 13 years old. I did not know. Please don't throw me in the slammer. And they didn't. Um, 
they kind of, I, th- I guess they gave him, like, it was like a first offence or whatever. So, and I guess that they believed him that, you know, he didn't know that the girl was 13. She had been saying that she was much older, saying that she was 19 or whatever. And he was only 17 at the time himself. So he got away with like community service and he was on probation or whatever. You know, he was obviously not allowed to commit a crime for another two years or this would violate his terms of, um, of his parole or whatever. So anyway, he goes on, he's uh, still making music, he's still kind of building up that bit of um, bit of support, bit of a buzz. So he released another song then the year after. Um, but what he did was he recorded this new song, uh, but he wanted real gangsters. So he had members of the Train 9 Gangsta Bloods, like the real deal gangsters in New York City, in the video. And I suppose this was giving him a bit of notoriety. It was having people take him more seriously in the rap game. You know, he was using a lot of the money that he was making from his music videos and kind of pumping it back into the Train Nine Bloods, the Train Nine Gangsta Bloods. Um, and he was getting that notoriety by being associated with him. He was getting that like uh, credibility on the street. He was also getting, you know, protection or whatever. But things start to go down the shitter for Takashi 6 9 again real fast because he went out, Bubu the Fool that he is, after being made an honorary member of the, the Trey Nines. Now, when I say honorary, like usually for initiation into the Trey Nine Gangster Bloods, you would have to go out and kill someone to show how committed you are to the gang. But because he was pumping money into it or whatever, um, they gave him an honorary initiation. So he was a member of the Trey Nine Bloods, but... He wanted to build up his notoriety within the train nines. So what he did was he took out a hit. He paid someone to go and shoot at another member of the train nines. Again, just to boost his kind of social standing within the gang. But of course, the prosecutors and the courts that were previously after him, after the sexual misconduct with a minor, got wind of this, of course. The police knew about it. So he goes to court again and he admits to hiring someone to shoot at another member of the train nines to build his persona. So what the, the prosecutors wanted to get him this time. They felt like they could get him and nail him. So the prosecutors felt that he violated the condition of his previous release. Obviously he was committing more fucking crime. He tried to have someone shot. So they're going to get him this time. And he was facing life in prison. Um, and he, so he, he was facing life in prison. And we all knew that. Um, Nicki Minaj even tweeted out like in support of him, whatever, that she was devastated that, you know, Takashi 69, he's so young like younger than me, and now he was going and facing potential life in prison. Um, but as Snoop Dogg said about Takashi 69 in an interview, that the motherfucker sang like Aretha Franklin. He snitched on everybody. Takashi 69 made a plea deal with the prosecutors. He did not want to spend the rest of his life in prison, so he decided to throw everyone else under the bus. He snitched on fellow members of the Train Nines, and not even just that, but other blood members, you know, the train, just FYI, the train nine uh, gangster bloods, they're like a sect of the blood gang, blood say being the mother gang and they obviously breaks down into all different sects. So he snitched on fucking everybody. So they took his lifetime imprisonment. He was facing at least 47 years. They took his lifetime um, sentence and brought it down to three years. One of those years already he would have uh, had served. So three years. Um, and he even got released extra early, only in what, I guess, the last couple of weeks, not even, he got released early because of the coronavirus and he was, you know, making the case that he's an at-risk an at person because he has asthma. So 
he was out. Okay, he was out. And everyone thought, okay, well, we're not going to hear about Takashi 69 again because as soon as he steps out of prison, his ass is grass. He's going to get got because he snitched. And of course, if you're a member of the train and Gangsta Bloods, if you're a member of any gang, you snitch and you're dead. You know, there's no other way about it. But alas, he came back and he wasn't doing the whole I'm going into hiding thing. I'm going to just try to live whatever kind of life I can and save myself. When he arrived back in New York City, fresh from jail, he paid for this massive, massive billboard to be erected saying the King of New York is back. So he wasn't going into hiding. He went on to his uh, Instagram for the first time in like two years and did a live. He did a live stream and was talking about, yeah, he's back. And, you know, like how, um, you know, like. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. How you feel about like a rat who's come back and is getting more money than you. Like he's calling himself a rat. He's owning it completely. And he actually broke Instagram history with 2 million people watching his live stream he is that's never been done before where two people are watching anyone's live stream so takashi 69 the rat the snitch who just got out of prison broke the instagram record for the insta live not only that he completely fucked the youtube algorithm because he just released a new uh, single called gooba and when i tell you gooba is a fucking bop it slaps i have not stopped listening to it at all it's amazing. You should go and check it out. But the thing, I mean, like, again, just in case anyone from the train and Gangsta Blues is listening, um, like the song ain't that good. The song ain't that good. Um, so don't come for me. But, you know, he still has this massive target on the back. And it's actually funny because, like, of all the people he threw under the boss in court when the prosecutors were like okay give us more names give us more names you know that's obviously your only way out of the life sentence is to rat <laughs> he threw cardi b under the bus and um, he's like oh cardi b is also a member of the train nine gangsta bloods and cardi b like went onto twitter straight away and she didn't even deny she didn't even deny it she didn't even deny that she was in a gang she was like eh, no excuse me i was never and ha- will never be a member of the train nine gangsta bloods because i am already a member of the brim bloods so Cardi is already in a different sect of the Bloods, um, which was amazing. I think it was around this time when he, you know, called out Cardi B for being a member of the Brim Bloods. I think, I think it was that kind of that story kind of came where an old video resurfaced of her talking about how she used to drug 
men um but like you know kind of like with the with the kind of like promise or like enticing them with sex like oh come here and we're gonna have sex and she drugged them and then robbed them and obviously there was no sex being had and i remember people freaked out when they heard that cardi b was drugging people they wanted her cancelled completely because it was kind of around the time when you know we had all just cancelled um r kelly you know that surviving r kelly documentary was just out and people were like okay well why aren't we having the same energy with Cardi B? Why aren't we cancelling Cardi B? Is it because she's female or whatever? The same, you know, with like Bill Cosby or whatever, like cancelled, you know, for drugging women and, you know, having sex with them. Why weren't we cancelling Cardi B? And I know this is a bit of a tangent, but I guess the reason we didn't cancel Cardi B when we found out that she was drugging people and robbing people was because this happened pre-fame you know, when she had nothing, you know, R. Kelly and the likes of Bill Cosby, they were like using their gross use of power and celebrity to, you know, rape women and what have you. Whereas Cardi B was doing this when she had nothing. And the whole thing about Cardi B's image is, you know, we kind of have this image of her as being a hustler. You know, she came from the Bronx with nothing. And you know, the interesting thing about Cardi B is that she never tried to hide any of this, you know? Like, she did say, obviously, like, of course, she didn't make it, like, public, like, n- announce it around the town that she was a member of the Brimbloods or whatever because, like, she wouldn't get her endorsement deals or whatever. She'd lose everything in terms of sponsorship and all that. So she wouldn't be making as much coin. But she talks about, um, you know, like, referring to how she used to, like, entice men to have sex with them and then, you know, drug and rob them. She said that she used to do it to survive. You know, it was before she had any celebrity whatsoever she said that she had to do it to survive and you know personally I can make my peace with that I can accept that and still like listen to Cardi B or whatever because you know what the thing about Cardi B is she has never like strayed away from she's never tried to hide who she was that's who she was that's the kind of music that she's making she knows how to make that music because she's lived that life there's plenty of rappers out there who are you know talking about the streets and rapping about the streets who have never been on the streets a day in the damn laugh you know like me with the charlie's angels um fight club you know i'm also you know i'm a member of the streets and that's just the way it is some of us are street bitches um so in that kind of way, yeah, I'm glad that Cardi B didn't get cancelled because she's always been kind of living that. And she even kind of like in her breakout song, uh, Borak Yellow, kind of made the nod to the bloods when, you know, she was, what did she say again? What was the lyric? She was like, yeah, these expensive, these is red bottoms, these is bloody shoes, you know? She was throwing it back to the brim bloods. Um, but I guess the whole mind popper of the whole thing in terms of Takashi 6 9 and I'm telling you now, if you're not following him, go following him because I'm telling you there's a lot more drama to come. You're hearing it here first. The thing about Takashi 6 9 is like he is the first, I guess, rapper to, you know, a young rapper to go and face a life sentence in jail, snitch on absolutely everybody and get released like almost straight away. And he's using that snitching and using, you know, him being a rat. And now he's coming back and collecting the bag. And we've never seen that before. We've never seen a snitch, you know, come back out of jail to go on and not hide and stand in the forefront. And now he's turning all this clout into, you know, a very promising music career. Like, I guarantee you, you're going to hear more about him. Um, And he's even, like, using, like, the whole, like, like, he's calling himself a rat in his new music video and all that. It's good again I you know concerned I feel like he's going to potentially catch a bullet like there's a lot of people out in New York City who are going to want to light his ass up and I can completely understand that so 
with all our talk about gangs and what have you, I have to warn you that the final mind popper in this episode is where it gets dark. It gets real fucking dark. Um, and I am a bit personally involved in this story. I remember, I think it was back in 2017, I don't know, I was browsing the internet, whatever. I was kind of, I was blogging at the time. Um, I wasn't doing the whole like, oh, today I had blueberry pancakes. Like I wasn't, I was never that person. I was never that person. You know, if I was creating something, I wanted it to be something substantial, something to make people think. So this mind popper focuses on a group, a gang called Virtuous Pedophiles. So like I said, back in 2017, I was running a blog and I was always looking for like the weirdest story, the most taboo subject to dive into. So I remember I was reading articles and I think I, I think it was on The Guardian. And um, I came across an article. It wasn't an article about this group, but it had mentioned them in passing, mentioned the virtuous paedophile group. So, of course, my inquisitive nature, I put on my Nancy Drew cap. Uh, actually, no, I did not put on my Nancy Drew cap because Nancy, Nancy Drew ain't street. Um... So I, I did a deep dive into this group, Virtuous Pedophiles, and what they were. So I went onto the website, um, and basically it was this group of pedophiles, you know, self-proclaimed pedophiles out there on the internet who had created their own community. And I guess their whole gig was that they weren't practicing pedophiles. So by saying that, I mean they weren't out molesting children. They claimed that they had never um you know, had any sexual conduct with children and that they wouldn't. And I guess that their whole thing was that they were saying that, you know, being a paedophile was something that, you know, they, they grew up with as in, in terms of they don't know if they were born a paedophile or something happened, you know, an early, you know, development of childhood that, you know, made them, you know, have this sexual attraction towards children. But they were adamant that they had never acted on this urge and never would. Which to me, I was I was very interested because, you know, the first instance when you hear or like read anything in the paper of, you know, anything to do with pedophilia, you know, everyone's first reaction is like, oh, they should all be hung. They should all be strung up and hung and burnt alive. And yes, while that's all, you know, very good, you know, that's just not the society we live in. But I thought it was very interesting that there was, I guess, what you'd call celibate pedophiles out there. You know, people who knew that they had these urges but you know didn't act on them to me that was fascinating it was dark it was taboo um and I didn't really know what was going on so the inquisitive little mind that I was I got in contact with the founder of this group online his name was Ethan Edwards um which I imagine could possibly have been a a fake name an alias I don't know but I made contact with Ethan Edwards who was the founder of the group Virtuous Pedophiles, and we had started exchanging emails back and forth. You know, I, I let him know from the from the very outset that, you know, I was running a blog and that, you know, I was, you know, int- very interested in, you know, this whole mess, of course. Like, I love mess. So I was like, would, would you mind if I, you know, shot you a question? You know, and we so we exchanged emails back and forth and he knew that I was going to be writing up, you know, a, a story for my blog. Um, and just to look at Ethan Edwards, he was the, the founder of Virtuous Pedophiles. Um, and I, he, he told me, which I thought was very interesting, that he had realised, I guess, or accepted that he was a paedophile. Um, I know this sounds so fucking weird, but it, it's interesting. 
Um, so he said that he had like only come to the realization that he was a paedophile much later on in life, like in his mid fifties. And you know, at, by this time he was married, okay, with three daughters. Um, and the marriage, I guess, it kind of ended or whatever when he kind of hit 60 or whatever. And I mean, he, he said in our emails, you know, that he had been in loving relationships with women his own age. But his strongest attraction, he told me in his email that his strongest attraction was to girls as young as four years old. Which was weird. And I mean, of course, in this situation, I you know, this was uncharted territory for me. I was speaking to a paedophile who had never molested anybody, who had never committed a crime so it, it, it was just all very all, all very strange for me and you know in our conversations I, ha- I had asked him I was like okay well I mean you have daughters you know and of course those daughters at one stage or another were young girls I was like you know was there ever a time where you found yourself sexually attracted to your own daughters or was there ever a time where you know you thought that you may commit a crime you may assault these young girls of course I had to know I had to ask the question as invasive it was you know this guy had just told me that you know that he was a paedophile so of course I I wanted to know but he told me that no he never had those urges and he said that well he believes that he told me in the emails that he believes that um that people are born or that men were born with this anti um incest kind of model wired into their brains which would stop them from from wanting to to be sexually involved with their own daughters so you know I guess that I mean that's what he said and he also said that you know um he never he can't recall a time where he struggled with um where he where he, he struggled with you know like containing himself you know he was adamant that him and all the members of his group had never you know assaulted a child um, and I was asking him, you know, like, what is the group about? Why create this group? Why gather all these paedophiles together for a community? I, what, what was the purpose? In the emails we were having back and forth, you know, he told me that it was a community for people to talk. People like him to talk. People who are non-practicing paedophiles. You know, they're also known as verpeds, ethic peds, or maps. Some people refer to minor attracted people. Um... It was a community basically for all these non-offending paedophiles to talk and talk through each other. And I mean, I did, I did research, you know, in between these emails about like the kind of psychology behind pedophilia and there is no one answer. And in fact, there's actually not a whole lot of research done into it. You know, how does pedophilia like develop in a person or whatever? I asked because I, I, I couldn't find any information, you know, any substantial information online. So, I, you know, in our emails, I emailed him and I was like, well, what is your opinion on this? I was like, where do you think, you know, pedophilia, you know, comes from? And he was like, you know, basically he was like, well, it's not like it's lightning. It's not like lightning strikes and suddenly you're you're a motherfucking paedophile. Suddenly you want to, you know, assault kids. He said it's something that he lived for for a long time. And, and he knew that. I asked him like, well, where do you think it develops? And he's like, well, I don't know, you know, if you're born a paedophile um, or if it develops, you know, before puberty or whatever. Or if it's something to do with trauma or whatever. But he said that, you know, he suspects, you know, from the, the people that he's talked to. That maybe it's like it happens, you know, in the womb while the fetus is still in the womb, kind of like an anomaly, an anomaly, whatever. Um, or either a head wound, head trauma. He thinks that might bring about, um, you know, someone becoming a paedophile. I guess. 
so again it was very interesting and very dark so I was falling down more and more down the rabbit hole we, we, we had exchanged more and more emails um, and I was you know kind of becoming curious I was like okay well you know are, are you are you and your I guess congregation of paedophiles are you going to are you going to seek help are you going to counsellors or what have you and he was saying basically that it was very difficult for these non-offending paedophiles these maps if you will to go and get help because you know you're never sure when you're going to um to see a therapist or a psychoanalyst or whatever you don't know where your legal rights lay he told me in these emails in terms of he could go and like express that he was been having these desires and that even though he was a non-practicing paedophile and, and that he would never offend a child um he said that like he you you never know if that therapist that psychoanalyst is going to go and report you to the police because there aren't any laws that kind of like protecting you because like this person i guess you know who's a self-proclaimed pedophile has the potential to harm you know so it's really up to the um individual therapist you know who you know if they're going to report you or not um and i mean he did raise some interesting points I mean, look, pedophilia is obviously it's, you know, it's unforgivable. It's an unforgivable crime. But I mean, he, he raised some interesting points. You know, a lot of these people, you know, who are living their life as non-practicing pedophiles, you know, of course, there should be some sort of research done into this, some sort of services available for them to, to get to the bottom of it and expand it and get a, a greater understanding. And the thing is, he said that you, he was telling me through these emails that you would be surprised, you would be shocked at the amount of non-practicing paedophiles. That, because of course, you're not going to know that someone's a paedophile unless they have assaulted someone. So he said that you would be shocked to learn the amount of non-practicing paedophiles, non-offending paedophiles that, you know, in your schools, in your hospitals, in your neighbourhoods, because you're just never going to know. Of course, they just look like everybody else. You know, I was kind of thinking when you look at it in terms of like, say, the church. I mean, like the church as an organisation has like a record number of cases involving paedophilia of that, of I mean, God, of what we know. You know, which I'm sure there, there's 90% is undisclosed. But the 10% that we do know, obviously, it's it's weird. You know, why is there such a large number of, you know, child assault cases coming from the, the church, the these religious organizations? And I, God, I was thinking, you know, would, uh, you know, a lot of these non-practicing pedophiles, you know, who are going to have to live a life of celibacy, you know, because obviously they can't ever act on you know, any romantic feelings towards a child, you know, obviously living a life of celibacy and no one questioning you, you know, what do you do? You become a priest, you know? And of course, I'm not painting everyone with the same brush. I'm not saying that everybody is, every priest is a child master. Absolutely not. Like the vast majority of them, of course, aren't. Um, but I thought it was food for thought. It was food for thought for sure. Um, but again, it is very dark. I know it's fucked up. And where it got worse, well, not worse, but where it got worse for me. Um, so I, I had finished, you know, talking to this guy and obviously I've had no interaction with him since. Um, but so I, I wrote up the, the story on my blog or whatever and it was getting a lot of attention. It was gaining a lot of traction. You know, nobody had kind of heard of this kind of story before. So everyone kind of wanted in on it. And I think I was contacted by 
one of the radio stations in Cork, Cork's 96 FM. It's a big radio station. It's one of the biggest in Cork. Anyway, it's one of the biggest in the country, actually. Um, and they wanted to do, they wanted to run the story of the, the, the name of the article that I, ha- that I had wrote up was a conversation with a paedophile. And they wanted to get into it. And, you know, I thought, okay, I, I could go on the radio and talk about this um, because it's interesting. It's a, it's a deep dive into the dark aspects of human psychology. And I, I can talk about that. I can have a mature, intelligent conversation about that. So I went on anyway onto the radio. I, I can't remember who it was, maybe PJ Coogan or whatever, 96FM. And we did the story and he was asking me questions. And of course, um, I, do you know what? It kind of was getting a little awkward because, you know, of course I could only kind of give him, respond to the knowledge that I had. And the only knowledge I really had on the subject was you know, information that I had received from the, the founder of the Virtual Pedophile website, Ethan Edwards. So really, I was just kind of conveying his answers on the radio. Um, and it was kind of getting a little mm, a little iffy because I remember the, the the host, the radio host was, you know, like asking me like my opinions on stuff. And I was like, I ain't here to give opinions on pedophilia and all that. I am here because of a story that I wrote. You know, this isn't about me. And I could tell that the the... Um, the chat that we were having on air was kind of becoming clickbaity, for the lack of a better word. It was becoming very kind of sensationalized. And, you know, after like the conversation went on for about 10 minutes or whatever, I, I still have the, the recording somewhere. But after that segment aired, it was live on 96FM, the fucking uproar, the fucking uproar that I was not ready. Now, I wasn't really receiving any hate, thank God. But the uproar, the, it had become like one of those real clickbaity shite stories. Um, and it had gone huge. And there was like thousands of comments on the on the 96FM um, Facebook page and whatever. Like people going absolutely crazy. Of course, people just eating into it. Like people eating it up, you know, that whole clickbaity shit. And there's one thing I can't stand is radio stations and the whole clickbaity thing. I think it's so fucking cheap and tacky. You know the way like and you 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 will see it with like all of the um all of the um radio stations in Cork. They will do like you know kind of like around Christmas like they'll do this like stupid fucking story just to stir up drama. They'll do like the oh thousands offended because um Santa Claus is a man. Why can't we have a female Santa Claus? You know, why can't we have a transgender Santa Claus? And they you know they run with that, knowing that no one really gives a fuck that Santa Claus is a man. Nobody wants Santa Claus to be a woman, okay? We got Mrs. Claus, you know, she the bomb. Um but they but they post these kind of little stories to to divide us and you know drum up a bit of clickbait. Um and this happens on radio stations all around the country. And I've, you know, I've done bits for a lot. Like I've done bits for 96FM. I've done bits for Red FM. I've done bits for Today FM. I've done bits for BBC Radio 1. Um, and the only exception I would say was Today FM. I worked in Today FM for two months as an intern on The, the Last Word with Matt Cooper. Um, and that show had integrity. That show had integrity. That was, it was a beautifully put together show. There was a lot of thought behind it. A lot of culture or what have you it was not they weren't doing the clickbaity shit like like the radio stations in Cork were um so I got off after I got off the radio and I was seeing all these comments I was like oh I was like I, I wanted to have an intelligent conversation about human psychology and obviously this has just turned into a fucking free-for-all idiot fest um whatever I let it go and then I think that the researcher I was dealing with at the time who put me onto the show had left that radio station and had gone to another prominent rival radio station 
um, in Cork City and she contacted me again months later asking me would I come on and do the same segment now this was like months and months after like I had you know it was done I had no interest in revisiting it she contacted me months and months after because she had moved to a rival radio station and she basically asked me would I come on and do the same story again would I come on and do after me seeing and after me knowing then that her of course her only intention was the whole clickbaity shite like they had absolutely zero fucking interest in having me on to talk about like a real human interest piece they wanted the clickbait they wanted the the traffic that it would bring to their site and to the station um with people going mad you know this like talk of like virtuous pe- not offending pedophiles what the fuck is that you know and have people in uproar and i wasn't going to do it and she, she, she'd rang me a couple of times and was trying to get me on. And I was like, look, I was like, listen, sweetheart. I was like, what I ain't going to do is become the pedophile man. All right. That I'm going to be drumming this story around from station to station. I ain't going to do it. At least not when it's you're, you want it done in a very unintelligent way. I ain't doing it. I ain't biting. Um, I just thought it was ridiculous. So I just caught, I caught contacts. I was like, we ain't doing this. I ain't doing this. Like, get on to me if you want to talk about some of the other intelligent articles that I've written because there's a couple. But I ain't doing this this cheap bullshit again for you and your clout. It ain't happening. I'm not doing it. Um, yeah. So I just wasn't going to let myself become like the beautiful man. I mean, God. Like, I, just to, to have your name associated with anything. A pedophilia is not one of them. It, it, won't, it, it just ain't gonna happen. Uh, again, that was like two years ago and I haven't been in contact with either of those radio stations since. Um, but yeah, so I had the article anyway and it had drummed up a bit of excitement. It was extremely interesting. And I remember when I was living in Dublin, I went to interview for an internship with the magazine Woman's Way. I know, who did the fuck did I think I was? Woman's Way. Um, and they were offering me, like, they basically told me they were impressed with the interview because I, I, I tell you now, and I shit you not, I do a phenomenal interview. Very good in an interview. Um, but they wanted, um, they were like, okay, you 100%, you have the internship and we'll give you um, 100 euro a week. I was like, ain't happening. Ain't happening. I know my worth. Okay, trying to survive in fucking Dublin City on 100 euro a week. Not happening. It just ain't happening. I was like, you can either double it to 200 euro a week or I walk. And they were like, walk, bitch. And I did. I walked. But they got in contact with me afterwards. And they were like, oh, look, it sounded really interesting. And of course, I'd sent them my portfolio and links to my blog. And they had seen the um, interview I did, the interview entitled Conversation with a Pedophile. So they were like, oh, can we buy the rights to the article Can we that you wrote? Can we buy the rights to it? We, we, we'd love to publish it or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay, this could be interesting. I was like, how much would, you know, selling you the rights to this article cost? And they were like, 200 euro. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, 200 euro, 100%. I was like, take the shit off my back. Um, because 200 euro at that time was like big, big money to me. You know, 200 euro as in like, that was like four bags of weed up in Dublin. Um, so of course I said yes. And they were like, okay, well, we just need you to kind of like tweak the, the article in, in certain ways, like bring in kind of, perspectives from kind of experts whatever on the whole thing and and I did and I said I would and I tried to do that but excuse me just reliving all this brings back so much drama um 
so I tried to do that but again just the research wasn't out there I couldn't find an expert that knew diddly shit about you know what I was talking about so I wasn't really able to mold the article in a way that they could put it in print um because of course it just sounded very one-sided like I was just talking to this like fucking pedophile and his like gang of pedophiles um so they were like unfortunately like we're not going to we're not going to print it but since we commissioned the piece, you know, you're still entitled to your 200 euro. And I was like, no, I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly take your money. Um, I was like, look, let me, let me try again. Let me try and hunt down some experts and you know, you can pay me when it's ready for publish. And they were like, okay, it sounds good. Went out anyway, again, couldn't find diddly shit. A lot of people just didn't even want their name associated with pedophilia, which I, you know, I totally understand. Um, so I was like, you know, shit, I was like, I ain't going to be able to find anyone to turn this article into something that woman's way can fucking print. And I really needed that 200 euro. I was scraping the bottom of the fucking barrel, you know, in Dublin. Like I had nothing, nothing. When I tell you I had nothing, I was living in a house with 10 fucking people. I had nothing. Um, so I called them up, you know, like two weeks later. And I was like, hey, I was like, wasn't able to get what you needed, but I need my money. I was like, I need the money. You promised me the money. I need my money. And they were like, uh, okay. Um, and I plagued Woman's Way for like three months. Three fucking months before I finally got the fucking 200 euro payday. Okay. It is tough out there, I tell you, when you are um, freelancing, as we call it in the biz. Um, but I did get my fucking Woman's Way check. I got the bag. Um, thank God. Um, Because I tell you, I needed the money and it was a grueling task hunting those bastards down for the money. And to finish up, I guess the whole mind popper of it all, if, you know, my article proved anything, was that there are paedophiles all around you and you will have no idea who is and who ain't one. Um, On that incredibly dark note, thank you for listening to this Saturday episode of the Mind Poppers podcast. If you want to support the podcast, you can, of course, as always, scream, scream into the void. But you can also rate the podcast on Apple Music and leave a review. I will be back with you next Saturday for a whole fresh array of Mind Poppers. I have a feeling next week we're going to go dark. Stay woke. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.